Hey everybody, this is Keith Rainwater with the Designated Drummer Podcast. I have a very special guest with me that I've been trying to get on the podcast for quite some time. I've known her for uh, four, three or four years, since before COVID. Um, we toured with Phil Vassar for uh, two full Christmas tours together. And uh, this is Phil Vassar's saxophonist and flutist and keyboard player, Patty Constantino. Thank you for having me, Keith. You are very, oh my <laughs> Glad God. Glad to be here. So, I have been trying to get you on here for a long time, but I know you're busy and you're doing your own thing and all that. And it seems like every time I try to reach out to you, I know you guys were touring or whatever, you know, but it's a pleasure yeah. to have you here at the Band Cave and Thank to you. talk to you. <laughs> it was such a pleasure touring with you. You're just such a professional. You know, if I could just say that, like a huge compliment to you. Every day that we would, I'm going to try to paint a picture here. Every day that we would come over to the show, the Christmas show. Now, we shared the stage with you guys. It was Phil Vassar and Lone Star together on stage at the same time and separately. You know, we would sort of do our own little songs and then we would all play together for a little bit, all nine of us, <laughs> or nine or ten or how many, well, with Phil and Richie and everybody. Yeah. Um, and then one of us would leave stage and then would be the other band and then we would switch off like that. But every day we would come over to work, to, to play or sound check or whatever, you could be found always in the dressing room warming up playing the sax and I never I don't think I've ever seen you not playing the saxophone because <laughs> like you know during the day and I, I mean is that like what um is that a pleasurable thing for you or is that you just have to do that to keep up with the instrument uh, I think you do have to keep up with that. Like all, your lips and your the, yeah. the reed and all that has to stay wet and all that stuff. Yeah. Yes. Uh, all the woodwind instruments are all like that. You have to keep up with them. It's like you have to do a certain amount of maintenance just to keep it going. You have to oh, keep really? your chops strong. And Wow. Yeah. What did you say you have to? Your, yeah, your, your, your t- embouchure and your, your chops. You have to keep them strong. Your chops strong, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, I found that when I played trumpet in school. I found that, that same thing. If you slacked off at all. Yeah. not playing or your lips your embouchure what they called it of the trumpet would and the band director could always tell that you weren't practicing because I, I would like flutter a couple of notes or something like that and he would go you're not practicing are you <laughs> he would totally bust me like no I've been kind of practicing drums and not trumpet sorry did you start on trumpet or I did yes you did okay I always knew I could play drums you know I always kind of thought it would be cool to be a drummer but when I got in line at band you know in sixth grade when you pick your instrument I got in the drum line immediately uh to meaning like the line where you line up and you you see if you can play or not and and you try out the instrument and that day they said we have enough drummers we don't need any more drummers we're full uh pick choose another instrument and my my backup was kind of the trumpet because my dad had played the trumpet and stuff like that so yeah and I, I was kind of happy to do it because i thought well that'd be cool too but secretly i really wanted to be a drummer and over the years i played trumpet for four years so sixth seventh eighth and ninth grade and then in 10th grade i kind of accidentally on purpose uh switched classes I had an art class that was competing with band and so I kind of accidentally signed up for that art class and I didn't I didn't stay in band I was I really wanted to just focus on drums wow okay so, yeah it's pretty interesting but I was a pretty good trumpet player I was always in the first top four chairs of like 20 something trumpets right because wow. our bands we always in school we always had like a bunch of trumpets and trombones I don't know why that is if that was a thing or if just it was a popular instrument or if that was just the way the band was set up but there was always first part second part and third part trumpet and each one was like five or so or more uh there was i think four up top 
the first part trumpet and then the second part trumpet was like five and then it just kind of kept getting bigger as it went down yeah. you know, the third part trumpet the ones that played that i was always happy to be in the first four because we got to play the high notes oh that's awesome yeah well, that's actually there's something to that because some trumpet players are like special players where they just do sort of like high note playing yeah, right so yeah and, and i learned i didn't know this back in we're getting geeky here on band stuff, but uh, we'll get back to your career here in just a second. But um, uh, I didn't learn this until later, but we had a trumpet teacher that would tell us to kind of pucker our lips, to get the high notes to pucker our lips a little bit. And he, and he would explain, I don't mean pucker like you're going to kiss somebody. He goes, I mean, just push your lips out just the tiniest little bit to get the high note. Now, what he should have been saying was what I learned later, years later, as a as a full-grown adult, is that there's a pressure thing that goes on inside your lungs, inside your chest. You imagine an air compressor with a higher PSI than a normal blow, like blowing out a candle. Yeah. Imagine if you're blowing out a candle, you're like, and you blow out the candle. Imagine if you had an air compressor with like 50 PSI going, like, <laughs> that's what I mean. That's what I mean, pressure. Like, And I learned that that pressure... Uh, that that PSI in your lungs, even on real quiet notes, you could still have a lot of pressure and get those high notes. And I didn't know that when I was playing trumpet. If I would have known that, man, I could have been one of those guys you know, <laughs> that play, that screeches those high notes. That is interesting. But um, so I want to talk about your early life um, and why, like, why you chose saxophone. What what was it? Did you have one of those moments where you? kind of got one for Christmas or something or you tried it out and you were just fascinated with it and you were just like this is what I'm playing actually I started on piano when I was seven. Oh, right because you do play piano with Phil and with Phil Vassar and yeah you play flute and oh, oh I wanted to talk about the flute too later on I wanted to talk a little bit about the flute okay but, um, um yes the, the piano I, I started when I was seven yeah um but I guess after you know you're in school I I, as, I guess as a fourth grader I started playing for choir um, so I was accompanying the choir for the piano grade. and all that. Yeah. And when I got to middle school, I sort of asked about playing in the band, but they, you know, didn't really have a use for me, and I still wanted to do that. So when I got to high school, I asked the high school band director, and he's like, "You know, we don't really use piano in band. You're gonna have to pick an instrument." Oh yeah. So I wanted to play the flute, and they really didn't have a need for flute. Kind of like percussion, they yeah. don't need flute. We and got they enough flute don't players. Need drummers. We're good. <laughs> Did you think about piccolo? Because I always thought piccolo was. Uh, like when I told my daughter when she was she played the flute for just a short time and I told her I said if you're smart you would pick something like piccolo where they actually there's not a lot of those you know you'd be unique and you would be sort of they would need you you know yeah I think they never start people piccolo is actually kind of difficult is it really it really is and it's usually something that the top flute player doubles where it's not like a separate player that normally plays it Yeah. yeah I mean like in the symphony, there's a designated flute piccolo player. Yeah, I noticed that, yeah. I watch the symphony all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we have tickets to the symphony, and we just saw the Jurassic Park movie where they, the symphony played, and it was amazing. Oh, I love it when they do that. Yeah, the, and, and, you know, Jurassic Park is such a great movie. I caught myself watching the movie and forgetting that the orchestra was below them playing live right yeah. there. I had to kind of stop myself and go, oh, yeah, i got to watch the symphony because <laughs> it's such a good movie. But, yeah, I love it. I love our symphony, our Nashville symphony. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. Did you ever think about playing with the symphony or um, get an offer? No. no. Well, saxophones aren't a regular part of the symphony. I mean, they do use them as extras, you know, here and there. But, yeah. I mean, my I've had so many, I don't know, I just keep ended up, you know, in different yeah. bands and different situations. And you know how it is as a musician. Your life just 
keeps going in all these yeah. different directions and you just go with it. Yeah, I gotcha. Oh, I wanna while we're talking about saxophone, I'm just gonna derail just a little bit here. I looked I did some research research on the saxophone and tell me if you if you have any thoughts about this. Um it was um invented back in eighteen forty six. His name was uh Adolf Sax was his name. And so that's what they call the saxophone. Um and uh, he almost didn't make it. I mean, he almost did. he had such a turbulent childhood. Um, it says that um, when he was three years old, he fell down a flight of stairs and was comatose for the following week. Later, he um, hit in the head by a slate tile and again fell into a coma. And when he was 10, he, f- he was found floating face down. This is the guy that invented the saxophone, was found floating face down in a river. But he woke up several hours later, just fine. And as a child, he swallowed a large needle that managed to pass without perforating any organs. I mean, it just goes oh. on and on. Uh, he even fell on a burning stove that was... That was next to a container of gunpowder. When it exploded, he tumbled out a third-story window and drank poisonous substance. Oh, and out a third-story window, lived, and then he also drank poisonous substances three times. Wow. (laughs) I mean, how did that guy even live? No wonder he invented the sex. He had to make up, he had to have a reason to live, right? Yeah. Um, And it said that the premiere of the sack, now I had heard when I was in band, I had heard, they told us that the history, that very brief history of the saxophone, it was very, but this always stuck with me. They said that it wasn't considered an actual band instrument back in the, probably in the 1800s or when it was, you know, like when it was first invented and when it first came around, they didn't consider it was like, eh, that thing sounds like trash. Right. You know, they didn't want it. And then it, it makes sense because there was a lot of people that um, that didn't want it to happen. They, they, they you know, they made him, uh, well, one of the things he did was that when his premiere of it, he, he was uh, the guy, um, Adolf, he was in an instrument making family. So it was his whole family lineage was making instruments and um when he invented the saxophone he didn't want anybody to steal the patent or steal the idea so he played it behind a screen where all you saw with his feet and then you heard the saxophone but he didn't want anybody to look at it and go oh i see okay it's kind of like a clarinet but it's metal and blah 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 um and there was actually a conspiracy against the sax um he tried to sit uh submit the saxophone to the belgian he's from belgian um, to the national exhibition at a young age, and um, he it just fought uh, you know adversity the whole way. People would just were against it; they just didn't want to see it happen. Um, and uh, you know, he just kept entering. It kept, and he also made different kinds of saxophones. There's like 14 different kinds of saxophones. You probably knew that. I didn't know there was 14. <laughs> there's like 14 different kinds. There's like small ones and big ones, and uh, there's even some made out of that have a wood or something in them or more wood than metal or something like that and then of course now um they've got them out of like you know resin and plastic yeah. you know those yeah. kind of things and it's just it's crazy but uh well coincidentally i play a wood neck which oh okay most oh that's right you play. showed me that one time we were yeah. i was looking oh, that's at that right. I remember and that. i was thinking about uh since i'm a woodworker about like what kind of woods it made of what would it be lucrative for me to try and make those, you know, or something? Cause yeah. Because we talking about. Well, possibly, because the only maker's in Greece. Oh, And I they see. make it out of that palisander wood. Oh, I see. But there's there's a thing about they put it together in two pieces. So because yeah. it has to be glued together, that's always kind of an issue. And they can leak because of they that. They can leak if they're not glued together, right? Yes. Wow. And they can develop leaks, of course, yeah. over time. So. And how expensive are the ne- are the wooden necks? 
Um, I think I paid like eight fifty, eight hundred fifty for mine. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm so doing the research, and I'm going <laughs> to see if I can figure out a different kind of wood that I could uh, make those out of because that that's really interesting. That's kind of the same way those didgeridoos from Australia are made. Yeah. You know, because you got this long wooden. Uh, tube that you play and you're thinking like well how do they get that hollow and I read that they take a piece of wood and they cut it in half and then they they take a you know like a like you'd carve like a carving like carving a bowl take a gouge and they gouge out the center of both halves and they glue it back together which makes it hollow you know oh, wow. pretty smart. okay but that's probably why they do that like because that saxophone neck has a curve to it yeah that there's just no way you could drill through that you can't you, there's no way a drill can make a 90 degree turn and go the other yeah. way and, unless you you know could figure out a way to make a beetle do that you know train a beetle to yeah. dig through the wood and <laughs> i don't know that sounds crazy but um, so yeah, you cut it in half and then you dig it out and then you glue it back together. But yeah, yeah that's interesting. I always did wonder if there was a way they could make that out of one piece, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe they'll figure something out. No, like 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 training the tree to grow a certain way to where it has a hollow in it that that has that shape to it. Yeah, that crazy shapes, and then they pick the right. Okay, that branch right there, that's the right shape, <laughs> or something. I don't know. Or getting off on a tangent here, but anyway, I found uh, that really fascinating about the. Um, you know, the, the fact that it was the only woodwind instrument that was never made of wood. That is interesting. Isn't that cool? Um, and, uh, you know, it just, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy instrument, but I love the sound of the saxophone. And I've always had this kind of like, this fantasy about um, having a cover band with, with you in it, of course, because you're a great sax player. Because there's songs like Huey Lewis, Foreigner, Super Tramp. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, Billy Joel, all those things would be so cool to have a cover band with a sax player. And you play all that stuff. You can play all that cool pop stuff. But you could also play jazz. And That would be awesome. Wouldn't that be I fun? I love that stuff, yes. Because, I mean, that, you would just be all over the place. You know, it would be like – and there's a Chuck Mangione song that I – that's one of my favorite songs. It had flugelhorn and saxophone in it a lot. Go um, – uh, Give It All You Got was was the 1980, I think, Olymp- 70, 80, 1980 Olympic song, like the ch- the chosen song for the 1980 Olympics or something like that was Chuck Mangione's Give It All You Got. Okay. Um, anyway, that's one of my favorite, favorite Chuck Mangione songs, and I hear the sax in that, and it just sounds amazing. Yeah. And you said you, you're a fan of that sax player? Chris Vidala. Chris Vidala? Yes. Oh, my God. He's no longer with us. Oh, is that right? Did he yeah. pass away? I did not know that. Some years ago. Oh, that is so sad. I saw Chuck Mangione. In uh, Nashville, playing at Zambuca's. Oh, really? In 2007, I want to say, no, six or seven. Oh, okay. Something like that. And he was playing there at Zambuca's down in Nashville. Wow. And we went there and we just had a glass of wine and just listening to Chuck Mangione on this tiny little stage, you know, and it was so <laughs> yeah. cool. And he referred to uh, Feels So Good, the song Feels So Good, as, as being the song that put his daughter through college. Yeah. So that, that was about yeah. all he had to say about that song. It was like his biggest song of all time. But I wanted to talk a little bit about how you got started. Um, so you, you didn't start out on sax. You started on a piano. But then you went to Maryland, Maryland College, right? I, I, University of Maryland College. U- University of Maryland College. Yeah. When I, when I did pick an instrument, um, I picked saxophone because my mom wanted me to sound like Junior Walker. Really? She thought the sax was cool, and so that's actually why I picked it. That's cool. Because so, your mom wanted you to, right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but like I said, I wanted to play flute, but they never need any flute players, and they never need drummers. So, right. Yeah, but, so I ended up playing saxophone. It's so discouraging to me. For I always thought about that for years and years. 
just something as simple as a band director, when here's a kid that's totally passionate about drums, for them to just say, uh, move on, we, we already got enough drummers. Yeah. And also, as I was in band, coming up as a trumpet player, you know, for four years, every time I would go into the drum room, you know, where they could practice drums, the practice rooms that had drums in there, and I would play along with the drummers, because I could play, you know, they would always chase me out of there. Not Uh the drummers, but the band directors were. The ones that are supposed to be inspiring us and encouraging (laughs) us. They're like, if you're not a drummer, you don't belong in the drum room. Leave immediately. You know, and I was like, oh, come on, man. What am I going to do? Bust a drum head or something? Stab it with a... Anyway. Uh, so, um, you went to Maryland College um, playing saxophone? And yeah, well, I started out as a piano major, and then I switched to saxophone performance. So, I don't know if that was the right decision, but, you know, yeah. that was that was the path that I took at the time. And then I went on to grad school and did the same thing. I was majoring in saxophone at University of North Texas. Um, so... But, you know, I still studied the other instruments. I studied flute. Um, I studied pipe organ mm-hmm. when I was in grad school. So you studied pipe organ? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did. Wow. I know. It's, a, it's odd. It's an odd instrument. Wow. So what, what was it about saxophone that drew you to it? Was there something about it? I think just after my mother wanted me to play it and then, you know, her giving me recordings of Junior Walker and just listening to it. And I, I don't know. I guess it just... I developed a fascination with yeah. it, and it, it's interesting because the instrument has so many different sounds to it. That's true, yeah. and and there are different saxophones. Right, yeah. So, what's I, your favorite of all your all the saxophones? Oh, that's a good question. Alto, tenor. I don't know because there's I soprano. Here's the ones that I know about: soprano, alto, alto, tenor, and bass saxophone. Those are the only ones I even know exist. Yeah. Well, that is, I mean, that's pretty common. I mean, alto, tenor, and barry are usually the ones they play in band. Oh, I see, right, yeah. But um, soprano's not quite as common, but of course... It's almost like a clarinet. Uh, it's yeah, hard for me to tell yeah. the difference between an a uh, uh, soprano sax and a clarinet. They sound the same to me. Oh, do they really? D- don't you think? Don't you think they sound similar? They do no, sound maybe, similar. No, maybe I take it back. Well, on the lower range, a clarinet has a woodier sound. Yeah. And... But when you start playing up high like that, soprano sax and clarinet, kind of that's where they kind of sound the same to me. That's true. It's yeah. kind of the same range. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But then soprano's not really used in band too much. It's almost it's like a double, kind of like the piccolo is. I see for the yeah. flute. Um, but of course, Kenny G made yeah. soprano sax famous. That's his main main instrument, right? He yeah, played the soprano sax. I think so. Yeah, he made it famous. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, now you think about it, he is soprano. And I think about, I never thought about him being a, you know, just like a, a, just a soprano sax player. I just thought of him as a sax player. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. He he does. He holds that thing straight out and it's like a big <laughs> brass clarinet kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, he cool. does play the other saxophones, yeah. but he does play mostly soprano sax. Yeah. That's cool. That's, it is pretty cool. So once you, I, I think maybe it was it one of those things where you, you, your mom was, you know, want you to play it, and then you did. And the more you did it, the more the better at it you got. And then all of a sudden, that was just like, hey, this is this is what I want to do. Yeah, know? definitely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the better at it you got, the more you wanted to do it, right? Right. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly true. I think that's what happened to me with drums. I think I was I started. I wasn't a great drummer when I started out, but I could play. And as I started getting better, I started getting more into it, and more into it, and I wanted to do it more. You know. Right. Well, when did you drop trumpet? In. Uh, uh, end of ninth grade, beginning of tenth grade, 
Okay. Yeah, that what that class that that art class that was conflicting with band, and I kind of conveniently decided to take that. I kept something in the back of my mind. I just didn't want to play trumpet anymore. I wanted to really focus on drums, and I had focused that summer between ninth and tenth grade. I had focused on drums so much. I finally got my first drum set, and I was playing and practicing and stuff like that. And I just didn't, you know, the trumpet just kind of like, I don't really want to continue with that, you know. So that's why I say I kind of accidentally on purpose didn't take that that band again. Right. So I could focus on drums, yeah. Did you, like, play in jazz bands? Never did, no. Not jazz at all. Not drums or trumpet. You know, they didn't. At that time... In ninth grade, they didn't offer a jazz band. There wasn't a thing in ninth grade. Oh, and I grew up wow. in Plano, Texas. They didn't have a jazz band there. But I did notice that when in tenth grade, when I went moved up to Colorado, they did have a jazz band. So I could have like gotten in jazz band and all that. But I just oh. I thought I'm kind of done. I just want to practice on my own. I wasn't good enough to play in the high school tenth grade jazz band. They had a drummer in there, and I watched him play, and he was like really good jazz player he started out like playing jazz and saw there's no way i can compete with that (laughs) you know i'm just kind of basic rock drummer kind of thing you know so well so did you like form your own rock band at some point or i tried to at every step of the way (laughs) like when i finally moved from colorado back to texas my mom said and of course now now i'm fixing to be in the 11th grade i moved back from colorado back to Plano or back to Garland, Garland, Texas. Um, and as soon as I got there, my mom said, Hey, there's a couple of boys, you know, <laughs> that are down the street. And I heard that I was talking to their mother and they are, they play guitar and they, you know, they're musicians. And so um, I was introduced to them and I didn't even wait for five seconds before I said, Hey, you want to put a band together? <laughs> so eager i was just this little 16 year old like eager i just all i wanted to do i was like let's put a band together let's put a band together so it's like hey nice to meet you you want to put a band together and they're like uh yeah sure whatever you, right. yeah sure okay you know but yeah so That's i tried cool. several times but i always ended up being sort of part of somebody else's band and the bands that i tried to put together were always kind of just like they would jam and because I never could find musicians that were as serious as I was about it, you know, that would, let's learn like 25 songs beginning to end with no mistakes and get them down and then we'll have something, you know, but they just want to just kind of jam and just until, you know, until you mess up and then just sort of fall in and out of songs. They yeah. didn't really want to, you know what I mean? They didn't want to learn the songs and then do a performance. They just wanted to jam. You know, yeah. That's all. It's always hard for me to find like-minded people like that. Yeah. That's what sort of sets people aside from becoming a professional. You know, I think so. Yeah. Serious like that. Yeah. Your your mindset. It's like, okay, how serious are we about this? You know. And I know people as I was growing up that would kind of think like, I like playing. It's fun and all, but um, I don't think I'm actually going to be able to make a living at doing it. You know. Yeah. Well, you have. <laughs> I I wanted to. I thought. As easy it is as it is to play drums, that's the easiest thing for me to do, from like walking or breathing. It was like as easy as breathing for me. And I thought, that's good. That's what I'm going to be. If I even have to starve to death, I'll still, I'm yeah. going to do that. You know, <laughs> that's the easiest thing. Yeah. You know, I don't even have to try. You know, I just like play. So that you that were was, meant to do it. I was, I felt like I was. Yeah. I yeah. felt like I'm meant to do it. Is that how you felt when you were? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. It, yeah, it's like this pull that you have towards it you can't even explain it it's just yeah yeah that's true yeah you know it's um it's like the uh it's like gravity 
gravity. Yeah. You know, gravity wants to pull you down. Well, the, these music industry it just wants to pull you in and right. use you. You know. Right. So, um, you had a solo album out um, in 2007. Is that right? Yeah, in 2008. Yeah. Yeah, and it was your first. And I don't think you've. That's really your only album that you've done. But it it did so well. It was actually featured on NPR, and it was on the jazz the jazz album. And you got to sing. You sang on it and everything. And and had you sung before, or was this kind of new to you? Or uh, singing was definitely new to me. Uh, that was something I wasn't sure about when I first started. But yeah, it just sort of took on a life of its own. And next thing you know, I'm recording a CD. Now, when you say when you started, you mean started making the album or started with your career? Um, I'd say when I started with my jazz group. There was, oh, you know, a few years before that, I had sort of decided I wanted to start my own jazz group. It was not long after I moved to Nashville. And um, people kept asking me, I guess they thought I looked like a singer. Everybody kept asking me to sing all the time. And I just finally started doing it. And I did go through a period where I really, really wanted to sing. Right. Um, and I wanted, I was trying to get my own solo career as a jazz artist. And I was pretty successful around this area, but I pretty much had done all the jazz festivals and, and you know, concerts that you could do in as this As a singer area. and a sax player? Right, oh. with my band. And the only thing left to do was to do a CD and then try to promote it and then try to get onto more of a regional or yeah. national level. So when, what made what made you choose Nashville over like say New York or something like that? Um, well, I don't have like the cool story most people do. My, basically, my dad had gotten a job um, that sort of moved him to this area. And so I was just graduating school and, you know, that, so that's mostly You just moved here with your dad and Pretty much with my and, parents. <laughs> and then you're like me, you first got here and was like, hey, you want to put a band together? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> got to be in a band. I have to be in a band. <laughs> Wow. And uh, do you enjoy singing? Is that, or is it sort of a chore? Um, that's a good question. I'm kind of a shyer personality, so singing's kind of tough for me. Um, but I did go through a time there where I really did enjoy it, or I learned to enjoy it. And then all at once, I sort of stopped singing. Yeah. And of course, when um, I started playing for Phil, they were trying to get me to sing, and it took them years to get me to actually start singing. Well, how would that go? Beat. Like them saying, "Hey, Patty, um, <laughs> <laughs> how about singing a couple of songs?" And you're like, "No." Is yeah, that how it well, went, or was it? Yeah, I mean, we talk about it, and I, I just wouldn't press the issue. <laughs> You'd yeah, change the subject. Boy, look at that it. weather, man! <laughs> <Yeah>. Golly, jeez. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> uh. So um, yeah, your um, I had read that your your solo album, which was called Invitation, Invitation, right? called Invitation. I bought your album when I, when you were first yes, when I we first toured that. with you guys, and we you talked about that. You said, yeah, I did a jazz album, and I went really, and you said, yeah, it's on iTunes or whatever. So I immediately went out and bought that, and it's, on, it's still on my uh, my playlist and everything. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it comes up, uh, sometimes I'll be driving in my car and it'll, it'll just be set on random. And you'll come up and I'll hear a Patty Constantino song. Well, that's awesome. It's really cool, <laughs> along with all my favorites. Um, so, yeah, and that, that jazz album, uh, Invitation, had gone up to, like, there's these jazz charts that yes. I didn't know that there, there were. I 
suppose there is for any genre of music. But there's jazz charts, and it was, what, number 22 overall? It got to 22, yes. It got to 22. <laughs> That's amazing. And that was in 2008. That was about a year later. It took about a year yes. for it to gain some popularity. and. Yes, and I hired a radio promoter. And you did? I did. Wow. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so entrepreneurial of you. It is. Because most people can't was, afford that. Right. It was expensive. Yeah. People thought I was crazy. And so they would go to radio station, jazz stations and things like that and say, hey, how about putting this on? And that's yes. what promoters do, right? That's yeah. exactly what they do. Yeah. I even tried to do some legwork on my own and yeah. did a lot of calling and they set you up with radio interviews and I did a lot of radio interviews. And um, actually at the time that was on the charts, I did a lot of interviews when I was in Hawaii. I was on a cruise ship in Hawaii playing. Oh, wow. So there was like a lot of 3 a.m., you know, interviews that I was doing. Oh, so. right. Why 3 a.m.? <laughs> I'm not sure. I guess a lot of jazz radio is kind of at night. So if it were here, oh. it would be like 11. Talk about like a live, like yes. a live radio interview from the cruise ship? Or Basically. Really? Yes. Well, I mean, that's wild. Over the phone, but yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got you. Yeah. Well, um, so I wanted to ask you also about um, when you first started out as a sax player, as a professional musician, how did you what was the first money that you made? Like, was it, because obviously, you know, when you're starting out, you have to play for free a lot and you have to like rehearse a lot. And there's a lot of sort of setup where you don't get paid anything. Yeah. When, what was your first sort of paying gig? Actually, my first paying gigs were really as an organist and pianist. Oh, okay. I right. did a lot of church jobs and it just sort of moved into other things. And I started getting shows and gigs as a saxophone player, but it really started as a keyboard player. Wow. Yeah. And, but that still didn't make you want to go stay as a piano player. It's still, you still were driven to be a sax player. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's weird. It's like that desire that you have, you just can't shake it. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I just wanted to keep doing that. And it's just hard to explain. Yeah. So I, I, know I, that I did. <laughs> <laughs> There's something magical about the saxophone too, I think. The, the melody the way the way it sounds like you said it's got these different sounds and yeah there's kind of a mesmerizing kind of thing about it and if you're as good as you are then god man if I could play that good I'd want to play all the time yeah <laughs> well um, you are good <laughs> oh, well thank you um so how did you get with Phil Vassar I mean how did that whole thing come about I was doing a gig at the Hilton downtown in Nashville I had been on this gig for a while it was like a five night a week gig and I just played solo um, I originally had played like as a solo sax flute player. I was doing like tracks, that sort of thing. Oh, I see. So you have like a, some tracks playing along, some accompaniment that, yeah. that's like did that's recorded and you play along with it, like karaoke for jazz or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was your gig <laughs> kind of thing? Yes, karaoke. That's cool. Instrumental karaoke. Instrumental karaoke. Okay. But um, the gig changed a little bit while I was doing it and it changed over to piano and I just happened to be a piano player. So I was doing that gig as a piano player and... Um, Phil came in one night and he was doing a private party upstairs and they sort of just came walking by me and just stopped and were listening to me play piano for a bit. And uh, somebody from the party wanted to introduce us. So I actually went upstairs and, you know, we met and I pulled out my very last business card. Very last, wow. My very last one. Interesting. And And I said, by the way, I'm a saxophone player as well. And he just looked at me, he says, I always wanted to hire a saxophone player. And I, I, that's when I pulled out my last business card. I didn't even know I had that's it on me. amazing. I handed it to him. That's and- serendipity right there. That is just like, if you hadn't had that business card, he may have, I mean, well, it still may have happened because you still, you know, 
he's still the fact that he wanted to have a saxophone player and always thought about it. I'm yeah. sure you would have written your number down or something. But the fact that it was your last business yeah. card, <laughs> that's amazing. And it's crazy because I had thousands of business cards, but I, you know, I gave so many of them away when I was doing this gig because I was in the middle of the lobby and there was just thousands of people that were walking by me every day. Oh, wow, that's great. So, it, yeah, it's crazy that, that that was my very last business card. <laughs> and so it, it could possibly be that if he hadn't met you, he wouldn't have saxophone in his band. They, you know, even though he said he always wanted to, where do you find a good saxophone player in Nashville, Tennessee? You know, it's not yeah, uh, New yeah. York, maybe, but I can't imagine just saying, hey, you know, <laughs> we need it'd be cool to have a sax player. Let's go find one. You know, yeah, but the right. fact that he ran into you, you know, yeah, and yeah, it's such a big right. part of his show, too, you know. Oh, you are. Great. You're such a big part of his show. Oh, thank you. I've always thought that. I appreciate that. Yeah. So um, bringing it back around to drums, I always try to do this on, it's a designated drummer podcast. So um, working with drummers, um, what are some of your favorite things about it? Like what makes a good drummer to you versus, and it may be totally separate from in the jazz genre than in country, but what makes a good drummer to you? And what are some you know feelings you have about what makes a good drummer? I like drummers that are really inventive with their playing, but I also, I guess maybe from being a jazz player, you get used to playing with drummers that know how to drive your solo, because there's a, some drummers don't quite know how to do that. Huh, drive your solo. They do, they can interact, jazz players tend to do a lot of interaction with their playing, they're very inventive, but they can drive the sax player's solo, you know, and just bring it to a whole nother level. Dynamically, or, or just everything? Both, yeah, I yeah. mean, just everything. Um, huh. But yeah, I mean, sometimes it can be challenging to find players like that because some players are very static mm-hmm. and do sort of the same sort of thing. They just want to keep time and right. keep it low. Yeah. Right. But for me, yeah, if you can get players that can, you know, just interact and just be yeah. a part of the, the whole solo and, and it can just they can kick the solo in back of you, that's what I love. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I, have a, I have a jazz question for you, and I listen to jazz sometimes at home on like Amazon Music or whatever. And um, and I noticed that that you'd be hearing like a jazz song playing, a traditional jazz song, saxophone, whatever, trumpet. And then all of a sudden, there'll be this little moment where the drums will just do this little solo. Yeah. And it'd be like one little measure, and then they'll go back into playing again. And it'll be this kind of, uh, seems to, what seems to me is kind of an obscure amount of like um, measures or something, or two or maybe three measures. And then the drums will come back in again with another little solo. And, and this continues on, and you don't really know exactly when the drums are going to come in, but they do, and everybody else stops. What yeah. governs that? What is, what's, what's going on there? Oh, that is kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, sometimes bands will, like in jazz, they, they trade, you know, fours or trade twos and yeah. they do things like that. But yeah, that's just like an inventive sort of playing that they do because they do a lot. They'll do a lot of stops and stop time and that sort of thing. Yeah. It, it creates like a tension. It really, I noticed that. Yeah. And it, well, I noticed that. I notice when everybody else in the band stops and the drummer plays, he does keep time, but it's kind of like, it's not perfect. It's like kind of stretches a little. Yeah, a little bit loose. Yeah. But they always come back in and it's it's amazing to me. I was just like totally different than any other kind of genre of music where there is a drum solo. It's usually like uh, rules, like well, yeah. a thing or it's before a song or it's like <laughs> whatever, you know. Yeah. But I've always been intrigued with that, with jazz and when when the drum solos come in and go and they come and go and come and go. Yeah. They're in sections. Like, It's exciting though. Yeah. It's so exciting to listen to. 
Yeah, it, it is because you don't know good. when it's going to come up. And all of a sudden, everybody will stop at the drum and they'll pop, 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 and then it'll be playing like the jazz again. All of a sudden, oh, it's another solo. Wow, I just really love that. That's um, awesome. So in in Phil's band, what what makes uh, is David still David Black is still playing. He was my very first podcast I ever had. Oh okay. Uh, he was my guinea pig. <laughs> and I think we joked about that when he was on here. What do you like about his playing? Do, do you um, is there any comments or? Um, well, I guess we're all we've, we're used to playing together, so I guess there's sort of a, a comfort level there, which right. is good. But yeah, I I think you know everybody in the band's a good player. Um, we're all excited about playing. I mean, nobody comes in there sort of just like not ready to play. Or right. Sometimes musicians can come in with sort of a darker kind of attitude about playing and like they don't really want to be there. None of us have that. Um, so that makes it very easy for us to play. And when we get on stage, I mean, it's just like there's just a ton of energy. Sure, yeah. You know, so, yeah, I think that just helps everybody everybody's playing you, you can get a feeling that everybody wants to be there right yes. yeah and yeah. When, when it's when it's unanimous it's magic it's what i like to call magic on stage yeah and i'm sure you've experienced that magic at moments for me in my career it's been moments of that i mean of course there's years of just great, being in a great band like lone star but there's these moments that happen usually it's in front of like eighty thousand people or these big crowds where the energy on stage is so intense because you're so focused on what you're doing because you're in front of all those people right yeah and uh you just experience that magic sometimes it's just like wow we you walk off stage and you're like what just happened yeah have you experienced that and that you know what i'm talking we, about we had that when we toured with you guys on the christmas tour oh wow okay i th- i thought that that was just awesome yeah i loved playing with lone star that was uh, it was great now was it the same for you when we got the standing ovation after Carol of the Bells? Oh my gosh, yes. Wasn't that great? <laughs> I mean, just to explain to the audience what that was, is um, Carol of the Bells is a song that Trans-Siberian, the, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra has had every, you know, ever since they you know, recorded, it's been a big Christmas thing. We just thought we would do it. It's an instrumental, and it's just like the instrumental from heck, you know? Yeah. I mean, it is like, it took us three days to rehearse it. Remember yeah. that? Yeah, I remember that. Because it's like, dun, 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 dun. And it's just all this very dynamic song, and it's long. It's probably like eight minutes long or something yeah. like that. And um, we got it down. We finally got it down, and we did it. And we thought, well, maybe this will be kind of a treat to do it, you know, because we got two guitar players, and we just had the whole band come on. You playing the flute, and we got the steel player, and we've got two bass players and two drummers and all that. It was yeah. really cool. And um, just that big sound of all that, you know, we, we would do it. And it had such a big ending, if you remember. It was like, bam. And when it ended, we just, the audience would just erupt. Yeah. It was nothing like that. It was yeah. incredible, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was every single concert we did. Every one, yeah. Every single one. And I remember Phil sort of saying, after the first, we did it the first year, and it was great. And the second year, we went to do the Christmas tour. Phil's idea was like, why would we try and come out after that? Yeah, <laughs> like, like try to follow that, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, so he, I think his idea was, let's just make that the last song. Right. You know? But the weird thing about it is because it has no vocals, so um, so our vocalists, Phil and Richie, they had to leave the stage to for us to do this song because they weren't playing on it you know so it's kind of weird to do the last song with no vocalists you know yeah. but i think they ended up coming back out and doing a bow or something like that but very cool yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually amazing 
you know, being that they're the feature, they're, you know, the two lead singers. And I know, they, right. they sort of let us have it, you know. That was really cool, yeah. And I remember Phil sort of just saying, um, just when I see you introduce the songs, I'm like, okay, hang on to your butts, watch this. Right. And sort of putting it in that context, like, you know, this is about to happen, check this out, you know. And we, it was great, it was wonderful. Um, one of the things I really like about a band and drummers in particular and musicians is bands that listen and a drummer that's what i try to be i try to be a listening drummer you know and i've noticed certain ones around certain really great drummers that listen you know like they'll listen to the parts they don't just play in their own world or it's not about hey it's all about me and i'm just going to make me sound good it's like you have to serve the band and in order to do that, you have to listen to what's going on, you know, be a good listening drummer. Yeah. A good example for me would be Keith Moon, with the, who was with The Who. He played licks on there that would echo what the guitar was doing, or you know what I mean? Like he would, he would always, you could tell that he was a listening drummer because he played parts, you know, that were like, uh, that were like part of the music, like something the guitar would do. And, or something orchestral or like it's like it's reminded me of kind of like a percussion section of an orchestra or something you know boom 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 <laughs> you know just the way he played with such energy and you could tell he was listening to the other parts because he would play with them and do little special things with the guitar or maybe the bass thing or something and uh anyway so that's what i have always tried to be as a good listening drummer do you appreciate that you, oh yeah definitely can you tell that there's a drummer that's like really listening or yes yeah yeah it's like what i was mentioning before about drummers some of them can get kind of static and yeah you know it just sort of just they're just sort of trying to keep time that's about yeah, what right. they're doing <laughs> yeah you know th- that's not exciting i don't think so what advice for some of our younger people that um one of the questions i had about this was these young kids that are coming up and they pick an instrument and all that why would they pick saxophone in in an age today when you don't hear it that much you you know of course it was popular back in the 80s the 70s and 80s but then now when you listen to popular music i don't really hear that much saxophone other than jazz that's true i don't even know why that is exactly yeah it's just like it didn't it just kind of got passed over in some of the pop music which I don't know why, but yeah, you know why it seems to sound dated. But but what what would inspire a young person to play the saxophone to pick it up? Uh, I would say probably because it looks cool. That would be the first thing. Because <laughs> it if does you're not look cool. Hearing a lot of it, I mean, you you might see it as like a novelty. I think Katy Perry did something and used Kenny G on something as sort of like a novelty. You know. Yeah, it does. Know. It just looks amazing. It's a work of art. It really is. The saxophone yeah. is. And actually, what you were talking about Adolf Sax earlier he originally intended it to be an orchestral instrument like to add a new color to the orchestra right but it never really caught like a few composers did use it you know here and there maybe as a solo and sometimes as a little section like Gershwin you know used the sax section and a couple of things but it didn't really take off the way he had intended it but it did take off in the French military bands yeah, and that's that. how it yeah. became a band instrument. That's right. Yeah, in the French military. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Um, when I, in the 80s, when I was just coming around in the early 80s, I would go and see Bill Tillman. Do you know who Bill Tillman is? No. Who was? I don't think he's alive anymore, but um, he played saxophone for Blood, Sweat, and Tears back in the day. Oh, okay. And he had his own band, his own group in Dallas in the early 80s late 70s early 80s 
the Bill Tillman band, and he had like uh, you can imagine the best players in town, like all the good players, like the Toto <laughs> of jazz of of saxophone players, like in Dallas. He had like uh, Dave Miller was the drummer from North Texas State. He was the one o'clock lab band drummer at North Texas State. He had Freddie Poe on bass. He just had all he could get all the best players because he that's how good his music was, and that's how good Bill was. Bill Tillman was, and he was such a showman. I just wondered if you'd ever seen him. Um, but, that was uh, pretty cool. Yeah, that was inspiring. And he would bring. I had this one song he did, where he well he would do he did Spain and all that stuff, you know. Yeah. And um, which was amazing. That's what had the drum solo in it. You know that Dave got to really stretch out. But he would bring this bass saxophone out, and it was so big that he couldn't keep it on stage anywhere. So he had some girl, some beautiful girl, every night. <laughs> I don't know if it was like somebody's girlfriend or it was his, his girlfriend or somebody that he knew would carry it all out to the <laughs> stage, like from from back of the back of the audience, would carry it out to Bill and hand it to him, and he would play the this big. It was massive. <laughs> that thing was huge. Yeah. I mean, he could. It was so big you could see why he couldn't keep it on stage because it would just be like like a giant you know, <laughs> sculpture sitting on a stage. Well, he Have sounds like a bass? showman, though. That's interesting. Oh, yeah, he yeah. was, Bill Tillman. Wow. And he sang and stuff like that, too. But, um, he, uh, yeah, his claim to fame was he played saxophone for Blood, Sweat, and Tears back in the day and then got his own band together. And uh, I used to love going out to watch him play, especially when he played that bass saxophone. Have you ever played one? I have not played a bass saxophone. A bass saxophone? I, I can't even imagine. You're so tiny and so, yeah. so petite. I can't imagine you holding that thing and trying to, you'd have to have a stand or something or somebody else hold it for you that's amazing. actually i have a stand for a berry sax when i have to play that yeah. that one that's pretty big those that's are fairly big. big yeah those are the ones that wall they kind of have that that low sound yeah but so i did have a friend that sort of built a stand for me because that thing is really hard to keep around your neck i can imagine it's big and you, and it uh, doesn't it touch the ground or does it almost touch the ground or almost almost yeah. yeah. So for you, it probably touches the yeah. ground, right? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> wow. So what's new? What have you been doing now? Um, I know Phil Vassar's got off the road for a little while. He's taking a break, but what have you been doing? Um, just other gigs. I've been doing jazz gigs and you know party band gigs. And oh yeah, I think you and, said the other night yeah. that you were playing at. Uh, I can't remember the name of the place. Oh, a little Hall's, jazz club. Hall's Chop House. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I was I was going to go out and see you, but I had other things I had to do. But and it was just a couple of hours there. It wasn't a very long gig, right? Yeah, it's at five thirty to nine thirty. Five to like nine. That. Yeah. 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 I am going to come out and see you play. All right. With your own, it's your own band, right? Your own jazz band, or are you playing? Sometimes it's my own band, and sometimes I'm just with other people. I'm just just the sax player. Sometimes sax keyboard. <laughs> so in your own band, you sing, right? Do you sing some of your songs? I do your sing album? some, yes. Okay. That's what I want to see. I want to yeah. see your band, the Patty Constantino band, with you playing sax and singing and all that. That's what I want to see. So you got to let me know when <laughs> all right, you're, all right. when that is when you're doing that next gig. I will do that. Yeah. So um, do you teach as well? Um, I don't teach. I have taught, mm -hmm. but I don't teach. I don't know that teaching was my path. Um, yeah. Um, I taught college for a year, I taught middle school for a year, and I did some private teaching, um, and it, it just, I don't know. Not your thing, yeah, the, I get the, it. The desire just wasn't there yeah. to keep doing that. I just, I wanted to play. It takes a lot of patience and time out of your schedule to do that's it. That's true, yeah, yeah. Um, it really does. And middle school was challenging, I have to say. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of things that go on, yeah. you know, and that around that age, and... 
that yeah. was hard. That was a hard job. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, good luck to you in the future, and thank you for joining me. Thank you very Actually, much. For I have been wanting me. to get you on my podcast since I started it, you know, but you've been so busy, and it's been hard to hard to connect with you. But we finally did, and here you are. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you That's so much. Yes, absolutely. So this has been Designated Drummer with Patty Constantino, jazz and vocalist uh, extraordinaire, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye.